All right, Leviticus 26. Um, last time we got through, kind of laid out on the board, the, uh, the five courses of judgment here uh, that uh, we've been looking at. Again, we've been looking at the issue uh, of introducing the minor prophets. And the reason why we're doing it this way is so that you get the big picture before we go draw down into the, into the weeds. Um, so in the writing prophets, again, the, the Old Testament, 17 history books, Genesis through uh, Esther. Then you've got the five hard books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then you've got the 17 hope books, the prophetic books, uh, Isaiah through Malachi. In the prophetic, just that in the prophetic books, the 17 break out into 5 and 12. Five majors, Isaiah to Daniel. What they're going what they, what they to do, what they do is that they lay out the foundational tr- doctrines for Israel's hope. Prophetically for the kingdom, here's what's coming, okay? Then the minor, 12, that breaks 9 and 3. 9 uh, as they are about to go into captivity, and then three post after the captivity is over. And what the 12 do, come on in. Hey, how are you? What the, tw- what the, what the first five minor prophets do is that they lay, lay down the foundations for Israel's hope. Here's the, 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 the uh, basic outline. Here's the information. Here's the th- and then the 12 minor prophets, they come in and then fill in the details. And what, they, what they're doing is they're not filling every little detail. They're picking up on major issues and they're advancing the information, advancing the understanding. And if you think about Paul's epistles, it's the same way. Romans, here's the doctrine. Ephesians or Corinthians and Galatians, specific issues are advanced out, feathered out. Then you got Ephesians, basic, and then Colossians, and there's this constant building up, and that's what they're going to do. And what's going to happen here is in Leviticus 26, we see the five courses of judgment because, and again, where we were last time is we were at verse 23 and 24. I know we put up the fourth and fifth course, but I'm going to go back into these and begin to draw out some of the things that are happening because there's some specific issues that Isaiah to Daniel are going to lay in. And then the minors, the right, by the way, the Isaiah to Malachi, they're called the writing prophets. Each of the courses has a major prophet. The first one is Samuel. The second course is Elijah. The third course is Elisha. And then the fourth and the fifth are the writing prophets, the, the 17 men. And as they do that, or 16 men, because Jeremiah writes two of them, this, as we begin to look at that issue, again, just getting the foundation under and what's going to happen. So Leviticus 26, verse 23, here's the fourth course. And again, these courses don't start and stop and go away. They start... And then the second course starts, and then the first, so the first course starts, uh, the book of Judges through 1 Samuel, 
And then the second course begins in 1 Kings 12. The third course begins in 2 Kings 10. You know, it's, you've got, or in uh, 2 Kings uh, 1 to 10. Then the fourth course, Leviticus 26, 23. And if ye will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you. So the fourth course here, uh, and again, chastisements, that's uh, Schofield, the fourth chastisement, that's fine. The whole goal of it is not to destroy Israel. It's to do verse 23, reform them, bring them back around to where they belong. And, and again, when you begin to, when we begin to, to think about the fourth course here and the fifth course, where these writing prophets are going to be, Israel, they're, they're in a case, they're in a situation where they need, they're not hearkening to the Lord, they're in disobedience, and he's just trying to get them to come back around. So as we begin to move here and as we begin to see what's going to happen, if you look there at verse 25, I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. The issue is the broken covenant. They've broken the covenant. Verse 26, and when I have broken the staff of your bread, Ten women shall break your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver you and your, your bread again by weight, and ye shall eat and not be satisfied. They're, things are going to happen because they're going to be under attack. All this stuff in verse 26 is coming about because the enemy has moved into the land. They've, they're disobedient. They're under attack. Now, where this starts is 2 Kings chapter 10. So go to 2 Kings 10. And again, we, we looked at all of this last time and just trying to get it back in our thinking. Uh, we've been away from it a week, but you know how that goes. You don't always remember or think about it. 2 Kings 10, verse 32. Here's where the fourth course begins. In those days, the Lord began to cut Israel short and Hazel smote them in all the coast of Israel. When he talks there about cutting Israel short, he's talking, now again, you have to remember, in the second course, he breaks the pride of their power, the power of their, the, the kingdom has been rendered in 10 and 2. And that's important to remember because when he talks here about cutting Israel short, if you come over to chapter 17, he's talking about the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. When we get into the minor prophets, you will see him refer to the north as Ephraim and as Israel. He doesn't refer to them in any other manner than that. And he, he looks at them and he says, Ephraim this and Israel this. Then he calls Judah. Say that's the two to the, that's Judah and Benjamin, the southern tribe. So as he begins to break up the north. He's going to take that northern kingdom off into, uh, 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 into um, captivity. 
And when he does, I forgot a paper, sorry. When he does that, okay, he's going to, you can give one of those. We'll do that. Yes, Judah and Benjamin are the two in the south, 10 to the north and then two in the south. If, if you look at chapter 17 of 2 Kings, look at verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and, you know, uh, and, they bring, and, and they bring them up there and then they just carry them away. The Assyrian, that's Sennacherib, Sennacherib in history, he comes and he causes the north. He comes and he carries the northern ten tribes away, the northern kingdom away, and they go on. And, and then what he what what the Assyrian does is, then he brings Gentiles in and they take over the territory. So what starts the fourth course, chapter ten, verse thirty-two, is the so the fourth course. Let's put this up here, okay. The ten nor- northern are carried away, 2 Kings 10. And then the two in the south are there. And if you look back at chapter 15, chapter 15, you, you begin to see <coughs> the Lord warn the south. 2 Kings 15, verse 37. In those days, the Lord began to send against Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramah. So, so not only does the northern tribes get nailed, now the southern tribes are under. So like when we get into Isaiah, Isaiah talks to, he's talking to Israel, and he's looking towards this carrying away. And he says, listen, you see the, fifth, the fourth and fifth have gone up against uh, the nation, the northern kingdom, Judah, sister in the south. You see your sister in the north, what's happened? You better behave or else it's going to happen to you too. See, The northern kingdom is, was always in apostasy from the very beginning. All the believers leave. They go down to Judah and, and Benjamin. And then, but yet what happens there is now the southern kingdom begins to suffer underneath the onslaught. So the fourth starts in Second Kings 10. Now the fifth course, go back to Leviticus 26. This is all review, by the way, from what we did last two weeks. Now we're going to be in Second Kings, and we're going to be over in uh, 17, but look at Leviticus 26 here. Verse 27, and if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins, and ye shall eat the flesh of your sons. I mean, here's here's, here's what's happening. I will... uh, and ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat, and I will destroy your high places, and cut down your images, and cast your carcasses upon 
the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you, and I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolations, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. That's exactly what's going to happen. Now look at verse 32. And I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it, and I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Now what's going to happen here is the fifth course carries a title it's called captivity. The New Testament calls it scattered. So what's going to begin to happen here is instead of saying the fifth course, it's going to be you're off into captivity. Now Now you're carried away into captivity. You're scattered among the heathen. See? So in verse, in, in from ver, in 27 to 31, there's no vow. When he, when he knocks down their high places there in verse 30, they are, their religion is apostate. They're in that vain religious system that the Lord nails them on. Paul calls it the Jews' religion. There's no value in it. It's vain. It's empty. There's, their cities are going to be waste and their sanctuaries desolate. There's no value there at all. He's gone. They're carried away. Verse 33, verse 33 I will scatter you among the heathen. Verse 34, then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, as long as it lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. And that land rest issue is what starts it. Back in chapter 25 of Leviticus, we don't have the time, you can go back and look at it. Every seven years, they were to let the land rest. The Lord would give them enough benefit and excess to cover that year. They were to give it. They weren't doing it, though. They work it for six years. They give the seventh year off, but they weren't. They were just working the land and make it, okay? They work six years. They're going to trust God then to provide for them that seventh year, the Sabbath year, and they let the land rest. They understood this, by the way, because of, that little thing in, with, with Moses where he fed them manna. See, everybody goes, oh, they're feeding them with manna, and what a wonderful day. No, that was a show to Israel. He's Jehovah, I'll provide, I'll take care of you. Just trust me, see. But they never did that. They just full bore ahead. So what's going to happen? They're going to be carried away. They're going to be in captivity. They're going to get scattered And they're going to get scattered out among the Gentiles, verse 35. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when ye dwelt upon it. And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies, and the sound of the shaking leaves shall chase them. And they shall flee as fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall where none pursueth. And they shall fall upon another, as it were, before a sword, when none pursueth, and ye shall have no power to stand before your enemies. They're literally done. Ye shall perish among the heathen, 
and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And, and they that are left of you shall pine away in their iniquity in your enemy's land, and also in, their, in the iniquity of their fathers shall they pine away with them. Total, totally under the rule and the reign and the hand of the Gentile now. Now, that's happening. It's, we're going to be back here, and, and we're going to go to 2 Kings 25 here in just a second. And that's literally what's going to happen to them. So in Israel's history, you think about their history. We're in 2 Kings. Remember last time we did the David and Solomon thing? They got that little break. And then, they, then the second, the breaking of that power. We're not, we're not at the beginning. We, we're recent here, see. Now, What's going to happen, they're going to be, notice, by the way, it's enemies, plural. It's not just one. There's going to be multiples of them. Now, if you look real quick at verse 40, and they sh if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespasses, which they trespass against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them and have brought them into their land of their enemies. If then their, notice that word, uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity. You see that uncircumcised heart? Does that ring a bell? Acts 7 with Stephen. You see, when he says that, he's not just whistling to, to say something to say it. He's literally bringing them back to the breaking of the covenant. Leviticus 26 told them they were going to do. And the reason that Israel in Acts 7 is under the condition that they're in is because of that uncircumcised heart. It has nothing to do with whether they're a Jew or not. It has to do with the fact that they broke God's covenant. Why? Because with Abraham, it was a covenant and then he drew in circumcision, and then he drew out that line. So this, so sitting in Acts 7, those guys, the, the leadership judging Stephen are, circ, are circumcised people. That's not the issue. The issue is the heart. By the way, verse 42, then will I remember. You see, then, timing element. Now we're going to have some time. There's going to be a timing element that's going to work now through this. That as we go along, we're going to see. Then, in the captivity, you're in that captivity until you confess your iniquities. Until you acknowledge that you are there because of your unbelief. When you do that, then I'll remember the covenant. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. Isn't that interesting? So what's going on in Matthew 3 with John the Baptist? You remember where he's at? Come over to Matthew 3, just real quick. So you got to think about, we have to think this through because what we're leading up to now is... We're really on the doorstep of the 400 years of silence with, till the Messiah. And then, bam, when the Messiah shows up, now the Lord's going to talk again. But that's a 
some critical time point here, okay? Matthew 3, verse, oh man, well, verse 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. They're not confessing that they stole a candy bar from Basha. That's not what they're doing. They're confessing what? We broke the covenant. We're, we are guilty of breaking God's commandment, God's covenant. Say It's a national confession. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is talking about, everybody likes to use. Say, uh, come, on, come back to 2 Kings. On your way back to 2 Kings, stop and, well, just go to 2 Kings 25. In Daniel 9, we'll get over there hopefully maybe a little later here or next week probably, 2 Kings 25. When we do that, what is Daniel doing? Daniel's making a, he says, we have broken, we, us, the group. And he says, hey, the 70 years of the land rust is over. I know what needs to be done. Leviticus 26.40, let's confess this and let's get moving. And Gabriel shows up and says, not so fast, young man. The land has received her rest. The land is clean, but the people are still dirty. So we got 490 years to clean up the people, see. So we got some more time. So the fifth course, the fourth course starts with them being carried away into captivity. This is where the writing prophets begin. They start over here. They kind of bleed a little bit into the fifth course, but not too much. So the fourth course is 1032 and 1537, 2 Kings. Okay? Now, 2 Kings 25. 2 Kings 25. Now, what's going to happen in 2 Kings, really, well, just 2 Kings 25, verse 1. Okay, now we're into the fifth course. Second Kings 25, verse 1. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his host, against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about. And the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. You remember the, the ten women are going to make a bread and all that? And the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were against the city round about. And the king went the way toward the plain, and the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army were scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, and they gave judgment upon him. So you've got Nebuchadnezzar. 
There's no bread. There's no food to eat, just like Leviticus 26 said. The king, they got the king. Now watch verse 7. And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. Now this is the third and final siege of Jerusalem. Okay? It's happened. It's, it's, <laughs> there, Nebuchadnezzar comes up. Beats on it a little bit, goes away. Comes back, beats on it, comes back, beats on it. Okay? Now, when you think about what's happening here, what did they do to Zedekiah? Verse 7. They blinded him and carried him away. That's when Israel, that's them being carried off into, Bab, into captivity. Okay? Now, you have to think about this. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are going to talk about this event. Jeremiah's going to do it. Uh, Jeremiah 39 is where we need to go. Jeremiah 39. Jeremiah 39. Now, Jeremiah is in the land. Jeremiah sits in the land over here, but pre captivity. He's in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is in the land pre-captivity, during captivity, and after they're carried away. So really not in, during captivity, during the sieging, and then they're carried away. Okay? Now th think about this. The writing prophets, they're going to take place during this fourth course and then bleed over a little bit. A, a couple of them do. And again, Jeremiah lived at the time of the Babylonian captivity. He lived just before it. He's gonna, there's some things in him. And then he's going to live through it. And then shortly after that, he, he, he never leaves the land. Nebuchadnezzar leaves him in the land. Okay? Ezekiel, Ezekiel lived in the land prior to captivity, and then he's taken into Babylon. Into, into Babylon. Daniel lived in the land, and then he's carried into Babylon. Jeremiah is left. He never leaves the land. He stays there. Actually, Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar, frees Jeremiah. We'll see it here in a little bit, okay? By the way, Isaiah, back over here, pre, prior to, he's, Isaiah and Jeremiah are warning them about carried away into captivity. They stay there in the land, and then... They're, then they never leave the land. So the, right, so the five majors are written in that fourth course. They bridge into the fifth. Same with the, same with the minor prophets. Now, I, Jeremiah 39, just, just work with me on some of this as we kind of see how this kind of works out. Jeremiah 39, verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. And in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the fourth month, the ninth day of the month, the city was broken up. Okay? Now, just drop down to verse 7. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. All right? So... Put his eyes out. Israel is in complete spiritual blindness. 
total apostasy. They are worthless. They're no longer useful, and they're, they, they're being carried away. Verse 11. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, look well to him, do him no harm, but do unto him even as he shall say unto thee. Isn't that fascinating? Nebuchadnezzar knows who Jeremiah is. Tells the captain of the guard, don't you mistreat that man. You take care of him. Jeremiah was put in chains by Zedekiah for warning about the captivity coming. And that if you guys don't get right, then this is what's coming. And Zedekiah puts Jeremiah in jail, you know, and when I get out of jail, I ain't going to speak the word ever again. And then he goes, well, his word's like a burning fire in me, and I'm going to have to speak it, you know. It just... And yet, where is Zedekiah? Inbound, in chains, being carried away. A great picture here of the, of the spiritual condition of the nation and then that believing remnant being preserved through, i.e., Jeremiah, being preserved through the turmoil, the suffering, the captivity. Now, chapter 40, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, after that Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah. When he had taken him, being bound in chains among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive unto Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, The Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said. So this is Leviticus 26, the fifth course from verse whatever, 27 down to 39. What did he say? Because ye have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed his voice, therefore this thing is come upon you. And now, behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thy hand. If it seem good unto thee to come with me unto Babylon, come, and I will look well unto thee. But if it seem ill unto thee to come with me unto Babylon, forbear. Behold, all the land is before thee, whether it seemeth good and convenient for thee to go thither, go. There is a Gentile guard that knows all about Leviticus 26. And I'll be honest with you, that his Leviticus 26 is probably not in Hebrew because he's a Chaldee. And we don't speak that Hebrew language. You think about he knows God's word. And what, he, and what that pictures for us, honestly, is that God's word was always designed to be for all the nations, not just one. It was given to Israel, so Israel would be the channel for the word to go to everybody. But the word has always been designed to go where? To everybody. And again, for you and I, if you think about Romans 16, 26 at the end, where Paul said, um, I just had it. Romans 16, 26, the, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. 
according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. The word of God is always designed to go out. God's word was never designed, it was never intended to be only in one language. And one people have control over it. And what's fascinating is there's a Gentile captain of the guard of a Chaldee, and he's quoting Leviticus 26. So anyway, come over to Ezekiel with me, to Ezekiel 7, and watch Ezekiel say something here about this. So Nebuchadnezzar and the captain of the guard, they know what's going on. They, they know. By, by the way, if you, I know you've left Jeremiah. Go back there real quick to Jeremiah 25, just so you don't miss this. Verse 9, Jeremiah 25, 9. We didn't read this a minute ago when we were there. But if you just think about Jeremiah 25, 9. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitations thereof and against all these nations around about and will utterly destroy them and make them astonishment and a hissing and repression. See that thing about Nebuchadnezzar, my servant? Now, Nebuchadnezzar is not a believer. God's using him to do what? To bring Israel under the conditions to bring them into captivity, to teach Israel, to reform her. Now, Ezekiel chapter 7. Ezekiel chapter 7. Have I lost you yet? Give me a minute. We're going to, we'll lose you, okay? Ezekiel 7, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Also, thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God unto the land of Israel, an end, the end is come upon the four corners of the land. Now, is the end come upon thee, and I will send mine anger upon thee, and will judge thee according to thy ways, and will recompense upon thee all thine abomination. And mine eye shall not spare thee, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense thy ways upon thee, and thy abomination shall be in the midst of thee, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, and evil as only evil, behold, is come." An end is come, the end is come, it watcheth for thee, behold, it is come. Do you think the end's coming? And you think there's an evil coming? Okay, now watch verse 7. The morning is come unto thee, O thou that dwellest in the land, the time is come, the day of trouble is near, and not the sounding again of the mountains. You see that thing about the day of trouble? Jeremiah calls it the, the time of Jacob's trouble. And what Ezekiel's talking about is Nebuchadnezzar is coming. And when he comes, he's going to take them captive. And what begins to happen now as we begin to move into this is there is this issue about day of trouble. Now what's going to happen is, is we're going to talk back here. We're in the fifth course. And we're going to have a stage one, if you will. And he's going to talk about stage one. And it's going to be this day and all this stuff is going. And what it does is it jumps way over here to stage five. I'm not going to write it up there in case I need that. And in stage five, that's the end. That's the book, the 70th week of Daniel. That's the tribulation, the great day. 
And what, began, what happens is, is it starts here, and it's going to work itself all the way out over. You follow that? Okay. So you've got some things that are going to happen here as we go. And he, he's talking about here about the beginning of the captivity. But he's also, so historically in the moment, in the time, the captivity is the day of trouble. Here it comes. And when Nebuchadnezzar shows up, bam, we're on. But then prophetically, he's looking out to the future event and saying, guess what? That looks like this. And what you see here is what's going to happen there. And there's this tremendous connection and parallel prototype, pictures, types. Uh, my dad always said the Old Testament is a dress rehearsal for the real deal. And that's literally what begins to happen here. And this, begin, this begins to help you when you begin to help, especially when we get into the minor prophets, because the minor prophets are written here. They're going to talk about stuff here in stage one. They're going to talk about stuff in stage two and three and four. And then they're going to jump to five. And then they're going to go one and write the five. And you're going to go, what in the world? But he's talking about all of it. See, that's the point. Verse eight. Now will I shortly pour out my fury upon thee and accomplish mine anger upon thee, and I will judge thee according to thy ways and will recompense thee for all thine abomination. The day of his wrath, the day of his fury, the day of his anger, here it is. But it's here, see. It starts here. Doesn't just happen the 70th the last seven years. That's what everybody says about the day of the Lord. It's just that one time. No, that's the great notable day. That's, some, that's, a, that's the crescendo. That's the climax. It starts here. The day of the Lord starts here with the Babylonian captivity. Verse 9. And mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. I will recompense thee according to thy ways and thine abomination that are in the midst of thee. And ye shall know that I am the Lord that smiteth. No pity. Who's doing this? <laughs> he's, a he's the Lord that smites. See? Now he's using Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to use the Medes and the Persians. He's going to use Greece. And, and he's going to use the king of the north and the king of the south. He's going to do all of that. But who's doing it? The Lord is. I am the Lord that smiteth thee. Uh, verse 12. The time is come, the day draweth near. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon all the multitude thereof. I think the wrath is there. Now, again, this is stage one. That's where we're at. We're in the fifth course, but there's five. You know, I told you last time these things tend to repeat themselves out. Stage one, verse 19. They shall cast their silver in the streets, and their gold shall be removed. Their silver and their gold shall not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They shall not satisfy their souls, neither fill their bowls, because it is a stumbling block of their... And By the way, send a dollar to Israel, bless Israel. That verse says none of that's going to matter. You know, what do they say? Have a little gold in the safe. You never know. You know what? That's not going to matter. If the, if the whole, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you think about this stuff. If our economic system collapses, gold is just going to be a yellow doormat. 
a paperweight. That's all it's going because who's there to tell you how much it's worth? Only the people you're bartering with, see. Well, it's $2,000. No, it's not. It's a penny. It's a dime. It's just a piece of hunk of metal. Now, granted, over history, it, it has value, but who's telling you the value? Only the people you're interacting with. I'll take my 9 millimeter, my 45 cal, and I'll bet you I'll get more for it than you will <laughs> for that hunk of gold, you know. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm betting on bullets rather than silver and gold. <laughs> Not to shoot and kill people, but to barter with, okay? The thing is, is the day of the Lord, the day of wrath begins with the Babylonian captivity. The whole of the fifth course is the day of the Lord. Not just this day or that day. It's the whole, it begins with the Babylonian captivity and it's going to work its way out. It's going to come to a climactic end with that great notable day of the Lord with the, with the Antichrist. And it's fascinating, the Antichrist, he's called the Assyrian. We're going to see an Assyrian. He's called Pharaoh. We see a Pharaoh. He's got all of this as in the day of their youth, so will it be over here. But see, that was here. Their youth is over here. It was here too, and it's going to be out in the future. Now come over to chapter 21. Just hammer this home a little better for you. Ezekiel 21. Now, obviously, I look at the clock. We're not going to get as far as I'd like. Because after an hour of this, it gets a little overwhelming. Okay, I'm, oh, you know. <laughs> All right. But what happens is, is this stuff, Ezekiel 21, you're going to read, we're going to read, we're going to see, and there's going to be a skip to this, and you're going to go, well, what happened to stage two, three, and four? Well, we'll see that when we look at the time schedule, what's going to happen, but it's like, oh my goodness, where are we? You know, he, why? Historically, it happened in the moment, but prophetically, it's looking out for the future. Ezekiel 21, notice verse 25. It start, he pours out his wrath on, on, on Israel, the southern tribe, Judah, let's be, through the Babylonian captivity, through Nebuchadnezzar. Boom, he pours it. it. The north is already carried away. They're carried away quick. Amos, in Amos, there's a whole one chapter, and you see the northern ten tribes go through course one, two, three, four, and five, and they're gone. And it's like that. It's like, whoa, what happened? They're gone. They're carried away. They were always in apostasy. That's what Amos is going to tell us. They never had a chance. Jeroboam messed them up from day one. So they... All right, Ezekiel 21, 25. And thou, now watch, profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come, when iniquity shall have an end. Thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem and take off the crown. This shall not be the same. Exalt, the same. exalt him that is low and abase him that is high. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. It shall be no more until he come whose right it is and I will give it to him. It removed. Take it off. Overturn. You've lost it. The it 
Verse 27, it and it shall be no more until he who comes whose right it is, and I will give it him. The it is the crown. The it is, there's no more crown in Israel until Messiah comes. Israel will lose the crown to be the head of the nations, and it won't be put back on their head until Messiah comes. And literally, we'll learn until he returns in the second coming because the first coming, they stumble over that. They don't recognize that. But that second coming is the reference. So Israel's political life, political exaltation as head over all the nations is removed right here with Nebuchadnezzar. It is gone. Politically, they fall completely. Yeah, but what about 1948? Doesn't matter. By the way, when 1948 happened, where are we on God's timeline? We're in the dispensation of grace. We've interrupted this. Whoop-de-doo for 1948 means absolutely nothing. 48, well, okay, well, something good came out of that year then, okay? All right, all right. The point is, is when you look at Israel, Israel politically didn't fall here with Rome. It, they fell with Nebuchadnezzar. That sets it in. Come over to chapter 30. By the way, spiritually, where do they fall? Acts chapter 7 was, was Stephen. Ezekiel 30. By the way, I'm just handpicking some verses, okay? We can be here for years. Ezekiel 30, verse 1. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man. By the way, you see that son of man? That's Ezekiel's title. He, does, he never calls Ezekiel the Son of Man. Because who's that? That's the Lord. See, he's always Son of Man. Prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God, How ye woe worth the day. How? They're screaming, Woe! For the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near, a cloudy day. It shall be the time of the heathen. Now that's an interesting title, the time of the heathen. Because the Lord says in Luke 21, the time of the Gentiles, quoting that passage right there. Not the, by the way, Romans 11, Paul says, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. I just, it's not the times of the Gentiles. I just, man, brain's not working tonight. 11.25, until the fullness of the Gentiles become. That's not this. Fullness of the Gentiles, that's the church, the body of Christ. But now, Ezekiel 30, look at verse 10. When does this happen? When is this going to start? Thus saith the Lord God, I will also make the multitude of Egypt to cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The day of the Lord begins with the Babylonian captivity where Israel is carried away. That Babylonian captivity begins a period of time with a series of events. We're going to have stage one, we're going to have two, three, four, and five that are going to come across there. And what they're doing is those events are going to extend all the way out to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins here and extends all the way out. 
And the reason that that is important, okay, is because there's going to be some timing involved here. The first part of this is going to last 70 years. And then stage two is going to start. And we'll get all that with Daniel and, everything, and so forth. But I just want you to notice the terminology that's being used. The terminology used here is also terminology that's going to be used to describe the 70th week of Daniel and things happening in it because the detail here is key and it's going to jump to here because it's key and it's going to repeat. And by the way, five is repeating of one over here. There's a repeat of it and there's a, there's a cycle in it, okay? So there's gonna, there is a connection between the beginning of it and the end of it. Now, that doesn't mean the stuff in the middle is useless because that's, that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time. But there's things happening there. Remember, la so if I, let me just do this. So you got stage two, then you got stage three, and then you got stage four, and then there's a gap to stage five. Okay? Remember last week we are talking about the 400 years of silence? There's going to be some silence here. We'll show, I'll show all that to you when we look at Daniel's 90, the schedule. Just let, me, just let me go to Hosea chapter 1. And just notice how this, and I guess, really I guess why I'm talking about it or looking at it, okay? Hosea chapter 1. Now look at verse 1. Hosea 1.1. 1, 1. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Bariah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, you see that list? Now hold on to Hosea and go to Isaiah 1 and verse 1. That list. And Hosea, hold on to Hosea because we're going to go right back. I just want you to see Isaiah 1.1. 1, 1. The vision of, of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of... You see that list is the same list as in Hosea 1? But Isaiah's going to talk to the northern kingdom. Now come back to Hosea and look at chapter 3. So guess who Hosea is talking to? The northern kingdom. Duh. Okay, well, Hosea 3. Notice verse 3. Hosea 3.3. 3. I, I missed it. There it is. Yeah, Hosea 3.3. 3. And I said, I, I, was look, I was reading chapter 2, and her naked, that didn't make any sense, lest I strip her naked. What? That's not what I'm looking for. You know, we'll have a good time with Gomer and Hosea. Hosea 3.3. 3. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for other men, another man. So will I also be for thee. There's going to be a believing remnant in Israel when they're in captivity. 
okay? Verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image and without an ephod and without teraphim. They got nothing. They are no body, even in God's eyes at this point. Why? They broke Leviticus, they broke my covenant, and I'm nailing them. Now, they're still his people because of the, contract, the covenant agreement, but right now they're nailing, he's nailing them. Verse 5, Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Yet, but what's going to happen? He's going to fix it, isn't he? Right now, they are nobody. They're in captivity. They've lost the crown. They've, nope, there's no prince. They've lost the, the privilege of being God's nation. But after, you know what they do? They do Leviticus 2640, the national confession. They turn. He rides in and rescues her and accomplishes out the redemptive program. But do you know where that starts? Phase four with the Messiah and his first coming. Very interesting, okay? But we're in Hosea. Now, come, come back over to Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel 10. Ezekiel chapter 10. So, you've got the fall of Israel politically. Zedekiah has his eyes burnt, poked out. <laughs> He's carried away, blind and in chains into Babylon. There's, by the way, there is a connection here in Ezekiel 10 with the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel 10, verse 4, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. So the glory, he's in the Holy of Holies. Now he's sitting, sitting on the mercy seat. Now he's moved. He's over the threshold. Verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubs. And the cherubs lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out and the wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God of Israel was over them above. What's, it's departing, isn't it? What's happened with Zedekiah? What's Nebuchadnezzar doing? Carrying him away. What's the glory of the Lord going? There goes the king. There goes the crown. You've lost it all. You're in complete rebellion. I'm smiting you. I'm fifth course Judgment, I'm nailing you, and guess what? I'm leaving too. And he's taking the glory out. Come over to chapter 11. Chapter 11. By the way, you guys know a song about the wheels in the sky turning, journey? That's where it comes from, is these passages. I had a great conversation with a man years ago, and he's like, I don't understand this cherub, and, and the wheels in the sky go round and round. I go, no, that's the wheels on the bus go round and round, you know. But uh, he, so anyway, chapter 11, verse 22, 11, 22, then did the cherubim lift up their wings and the wheels beside them and the glory of, of the God of Israel was over them 
And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. That is Mount Olives. He's leaving. He's starts over the mercy seat, over the threshold, leaves up, goes up. Now he's leaving the city, Jerusalem, completely. Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed on Mount Olives, and he's carried away. Now, if you come over to chapter 43, I just had the note of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 40, 41, 42, you see the Lord return. And guess what comes with him? The glory. And guess where, how it comes in? When the Lord returns, Zechariah 14, when he turns, comes back, he comes down out of that north, down along that sea line, the seashore between Mediterranean and Jerusalem. He's just boom, boom. He comes down Bozer, Edomia, bottom end of the Dead Sea, comes up. He crosses right where Joshua, Joshua Joseph, Elijah, Elisha, all of them that go into the land, he comes in, and that Mount of Olives sits right there, and that's the first time he touches the ground in his return. He's done two days of battle, just blood up to the bridle of the, of the horse's bridle. He hasn't, hit, he hasn't touched the ground. He touches it there. And when he does, Ezekiel 43, verse 1, afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east, and behold, the glory of the Lord of, of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. You know the glory, the glory leaving? Now the glory returns exactly the way it left. It just repeats. It just connects. So the, now go to Acts 13 and watch Paul. Acts 13. Just a comparison here for you, so we get Paul, Paul in on the subject matter. Acts 13. Acts 13. And you know what we have in verse 6 down to verse 13? Verse 12. We have Elimaeus, the sorcerer, the Jew. And what is he? He's blinded. So that the Gentile, Sergius Paulus, can do what? See the truth. What's happened with Israel politically? Zedekiah has been blinded, carried away. Gentiles come in, they're running the show now. Paul says, you know what's happened spiritually? Israel's blinded in part. Now the Gentiles, now the salvation of God is sent to the Gentile. So, Paul, the ministry here now, he's the blinding of the Jews, salvation then goes to the Gentiles. Now come down to verse 44. Just as was that, just as a glory leaving in three parts, three steps. Acts 13 verse 44, and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. 
But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put your from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And you know what they have now? A three-step process of leaving the Jew. They, they're here, they're in Antioch, just north of Jerusalem, on the coast there. The next one is in chapter 18, 4 through 6, the next step away. That's Corinth, so we're in Greece, we're in Europe, Asia Minor, Turkey. And then the last one is Acts 28, and guess where we're at? We're in Rome. Where's Jerusalem? Way over there. So just as we see with the, blind, with the blinding of Zedekiah and him getting carried away, i.e. also the glory of, the, of God leaving, now we see Israel dispensationally blinded and the glory of the Lord, salvation of God leaving them completely too. All this balance. Now, next time, because time's up, we're going to go back and look at Daniel and then go back in Jeremiah and we'll see some timing of this because we're going to have 70 years and then we're going to have 49 years. Then we're going to have 400 years and then we're going to have 34 years and then we're going to have that seven years over here and we're going to begin to see there's a timing to it just as there's a timing back here from one to, one to four, now there's going to be a timing over here as well, and we'll walk through all that next week, okay? All right, if you're not confused by now, hang on, I'll get you confused, especially next week, because you've got to follow the bouncing ball, and you've got to get all this in your head so that we can start Hosea, not next week, but the next, Okay? And the, by the way, the reason this is so important is because the five majors, there's some foundational information. It starts here, but it looks out over here prophetically. That's why people say the day of the Lord isn't, but on, on the 70th week of Daniel, you've got 69 weeks. Okay, and the 70th week, see. But in reality, historically, it's right there is where it started. And it's looking out over there. Okay, now that's a little crude. We'll fill it in next time. All right? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the look into it. And as we look at these things, we'll just, en just enjoy what you're doing with your people and what you will and do with them in the future. In your name we pray, amen.